You're listening to Conversation with the Experts, a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. Hi, my name is Tania Ramos, and I'm a clinical nurse educator for the Outreach Education Program here at the RCH. I'm also a clinical nurse specialist in the recovery room. Joining us today is Dr. Peter Howe. Pete is a staff anaesthetist and supervisor of training for the Department of Anesthesia and Pain Management here at our hospital, as well as a clinical associate professor for the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Melbourne. Pete is also an incredible musician who brings our department much joy with his musical performances and YouTube clips. Pete's YouTube channel has had over 10,000 views and his most popular clip, Sets of 69, is currently embedded in our paediatric desaturation presentation that I give for outreach. I've known Pete for many, many years, and it only seems appropriate that he joins us today to discuss the art of paediatric anesthesia induction. I believe it was you, Pete, many years ago, back when I was a baby nurse, that you told me that anesthesia is not only a science, but a real art. Welcome, Pete. Thank you, Tanya. That's a very generous introduction. Fantastic. Well, let's begin by really asking you one of the most important questions, and I guess it's really the difference between a paediatric induction versus an adult induction. It seems that, you know, adult inductions occur intravenously most of the time, whereas I would say the majority of inductions here at RCH tend to happen via the inhalational route. Could you talk us through this, Pete? Yeah, that's a really good question to start with. So for starters, I think conceptually, everybody is safer if they start with a cannula, whether you're one day old or 100 years old. Mm -hmm. So whenever you're doing that, you're doing it to, uh, you're doing something which is potentially less safe because you're hoping you're having an increase in quality to trade that off. Uh, So bottom line, if in doubt, uh, an IV is a great thing to have. Uh, there's the, sometimes we do an inhalational induction because of technical reasons, like the nice, healthy, chubby infant, less than two. Mm-hmm. It's often quite technically difficult, but most of the reason, I think the answer to every question in this podcast is going to be a laying fear in a child. Yeah. And it's a bit multi-layered. Like the fear is not just the child. It's often the parent's fear. Like the first thing they'll say is, is the child going to have the needle? Are they going to have the needle? Is he going to have the He doesn't like needles. He doesn't want needles. Like, yeah. Okay. They're already setting them up for a challenge oh, yeah. if they begin that way. I've recognised in myself, sometimes I'm a bit scared of doing an IV induction because I don't want to be the one that hurts the child. So I think we all buy into what's a fairly common thing in certainly Victoria from my experience that we're all a bit needle phobic. But um, uh, I think if we dealt with our phobia, it's a pretty good technique of getting things done. So it it remains on my goal to get better at IV inductions. Yeah, fantastic. In relation to your experience, I know that you've done the hypnosis course before. Can you tell me a little bit about what that um, means and how that affects your practice or has impacted your practice? Absolutely. And there's a variety of hypnosis courses. Uh, this In Adelaide, we're lucky to have some real experts. And I did some with, with a focus on pediatric anesthesia. And the one I did was with somebody who was doing it. Most of the people were general practitioners doing that smoking cessation. But a lot of the principles were the same. Uh, and the first thing was kind of debunking what hypnosis isn't. So we weren't clapping our hands and making people turn into chickens. Uh, <laughs> the more stuff it was to use communication to help you get around a problem and get to a place you want to go. When I came back from a hypnosis course, I wasn't doing much different, but I had an awareness of suggestion. So the notion of implanting a suggestion that uh, helps the recipient change the way they're looking at things and then sometimes people are suggestible. So their ability to respond to suggestion 
uh, is much higher. And would you say that's particularly pertinent sort of for school-age children? Is this who it sort uh, of functions really well for? Is this across the lifespan? Uh, I think it's across the lifespan. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably kids less than two, the main interaction is with the parent. Yeah. Uh, three, four, five, often using sort of magical thinking. Primary school, we're trying not to say anything scary. And in secondary school, it's quite like an adult getting some buy-in to the yep. concepts. So to go through the concepts a little bit, before lockdown, I went out to dinner with a bunch of friends and someone was running late, someone I hadn't actually met, so it was someone's friend of a friend. We're at an Indian restaurant and I'm having a curry and this person has turned up while I'm halfway through my dinner and says, sorry, I've been late. I'm dealing with kids with gastro. It looks just like your curry, even the chunky bits. Oh, great. <laughs> and it was hard to enjoy my meal after that. I can only imagine. So my objective mind knows yeah. that the ingredients are exactly the same, but every mouthful I was thinking of her experience of the last couple of hours. Correct. My main theme was I'd never want to go out to dinner with you again, but it also makes me realize how powerful saying something like that is. And I wasn't particularly suggestible at that time. Whereas if Mm -hmm. I'd have been like, if you're sitting there listening to music or some sort Mm -hmm. of traditional hypnosis thing, but also being scared is a good way to be suggestible. And so saying the equivalent of the curry story might be going out of your way to explain things in detail, which is nice. But by the time I've told you how much pain you might be in, how much you might vomit and having a needle... I may well have had an effect that I wasn't intending. And so it's using that moment to try and get yourself to an easier place. Yeah. So it's amazing then using all those sort of um, skills that you gained while doing your hypnosis training, how that you you said that you've already implemented sort of those in your practice, but you were great, more aware of it. I've got an adult practice as well. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I'm usually chatting to them about all the business stuff by phone. So by the time I get there, I'm just talking, like I work with a really good surgeon. I say, hey, you've picked a good hospital, good surgeon. I've been coming here for 20 years, which was all true, but it's sort of subliminal messages, good place, safe place. We're going to do the normal thing that we always do. The child one, after my hypnosis course, I actually wanted to be hypnotized myself. Uh And the person took me through what was really a very good therapeutic interview. And I realized through that process how scared I was of hurting children. And then the first child I came back, the, the kid was three Parent was worked in anesthesia in country Victoria, best prepared child of all time, uh-huh. who showed me her hand and said, I'm getting special cream with a sticker and I'm having the special straw and afterwards I'm having ice cream. Amazing. And so I realized I had to do a cannulation in a three-year-old yeah. and it was fine. And I was like, oh, it's good. It's good. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So that, that preparation for the induction obviously helped you as much oh, as it helped. It helped me enormously. And that's helped me believe that... Uh, The goal is not necessarily with an IV induction and hypnosis to make everything painless and easy. It's to make what was a difficult process a manageable process. Yeah. So I often use the mushrooms example that uh, when talking to kids about IV cannulation, especially in age where I'm going to be talking about it, Uh I try and normalize having cream on. Yeah. And then saying, whatever we choose to do, what you're going to do is take off the cream and tell mum how amazing or tell what it feels like. Yeah. And the child takes it off and goes, I can't feel anything. Oh, isn't that amazing? Yeah the right setting up of things and talking and cream and so on, a difficult thing can become manageable. And and I guess that actually that leads me perfectly into the next question is why is it so important to try and ensure that we have a smooth induction of anesthesia with children? What are the, some of the benefits? Well, for the anesthetist, it's the hardest part of the day because when someone's unconscious, we make the rules. So when they're still conscious, they have this habit of inserting their own opinion. I suspect it's the whole hospital admission mm-hmm. where our goal is to make it easier for the person to manage and particularly from the anesthesia recovery pain perspective, fear and pain aren't the same thing, but they know where each other lives and to borrow each other's shoes. Uh, That's and so, so true. We can decrease fear 
then I think it helps the whole way through. And I think fear often comes to a head just when we're starting, partly from the anesthetic thing, but partly because, oh my goodness, this is the operation we talked about, it's happening now, or the reality of it kicks in with the parents. So yeah, uh, for all sorts of reasons, it's a focus of attention. And, and can you tell us a little bit about some of the sort of non-pharmacological strategies that help with that smooth induction? So you sort of talked about hypnosis and the importance of communication. The audience here already works with children, so you already know how to do it. So the goal is probably uh, recognising what you're doing and empowering some things and not others. So for the starters, I'd start where possible with coaching the parent. Uh, so their preparation at home ideally is to manage their own fear. And a lot of that is just getting as much information so they know they're making the right choice. Yeah. Even if it's a, a series of unpleasant choices, they know that they're making the best choice they can. Because if they're scared, their words don't matter. They'll be going, it's okay, darling, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And uh, so managing that. The next thing for the parents is some things about what, what to say and then what not to say. So what to say is probably more along the lines of a, a birthday party, even though it seems a bit facile, mm -hmm. a special day and you're the centre of attention. Yep. And some kids actually do have fun and depends on the circumstances, but quite often we have kids having fun and work with Steve Penzoni, the famous tech, and a lot of kids yep. who are having cancer treatment look forward to coming and seeing Steve. They definitely do. He knows their favourite songs, their colours, what they like to eat, all those sorts of things. You're exactly right. And so encouraging that as a special day. And when the child's fasting, often there might be a special clear fluid that sort of breaks family rules, like might be the only time you have, you know, Gatorade or whatever yeah. it is. And, oh, we're having that until he gets to the hospital. That's good. Isn't that a great thing? For example, a specific focus suggestion might be when this operation's over, you'll feel better. But a, an embedded suggestion might be uh, some kids, when they've had their operation, have an icy pole, but some have an ice cream. I wonder what you want to do. And so it's firstly realising it'll be over. They'll feel like eating. They'll have a choice of ice cream and icy pole, which is sometimes a bit of a special treat. And it's truthful. Yeah. So it's easier to talk about that than what a needle is and whether they're going to vomit. You're sort of getting the child engaged quite early that way. Yeah. You know, the and, children engage quite early that way. And also you're hitting on another nice thing that it's really good to have the pre-op consult separate to pre-op hold. So when they see me in pre-op hold, I'm already hopefully an old friend. Yes. And then the goals of the first consult, usually, I mean, we're lucky at the children's. If they've got a past history, it's probably known here. So often there's very little information I have to get out of the consult. And I'm often thinking, my goal here is for them to, at the end, they mightn't even remember what we talked about, but, oh, that guy's okay. I think it's going to be okay. That's the main vibe I've got. Then in the pre-op consult too, I'm trying to think of what place we might go to. I mean, some people do really formal hypnosis where the person is in an altered state of consciousness. The level kind of um, people with my level of skills are doing, it's a bit like daydreaming. Yes. Uh, so some people, when they're driving home from work, I mean, they've still stopped at the lights and hopefully haven't had any an accident on the way home, <laughs> but they've been doing something either pleasant, thinking about what they're doing on the weekend, or maybe they're reliving the argument they had this morning or what they should have said. So part of their mind is in a different place and we're trying to use that uh, for our benefit. So uh, with a, someone less than two, it's just checking that the parent's okay, knowing what they're going to happen. And as we're talking about the content, I'm aware that like I'm doing now, my voice slows down and it gets, uh, my tone changes a little and they're sort of, even if they didn't speak English, I'm hoping they're getting a vibe like talking to the scared animal, it's going to be okay. Yes. Uh, for a three, four, five-year-old or someone like that, we might talk about some magical thing from their world and maybe have a story so that we begin the idea there and pick up on it there. And so imagine, you know, Alvin's got a story about a little girl who's four. Oh my goodness, you're four. And the story's about a girl called Tanya. And 
your name's Tanya. That's extraordinary. And you know what Tanya liked doing? What? She liked having ice cream. Have you ever had ice cream before? Oh, you have had ice cream. That's nice. What flavors have you had? Right. What do you think's the best flavor? Okay. Well, we'll see what if that's the, Tanya's friend. Tanya's favorite as well. So we're able to just kind of go to a place. And it doesn't have to be that. There's no right way. But the mindful thing is we're going to another place, all of which can be truthful and playful and have the person stay in that place as much as possible. And it's like that distraction from actually what's really occurring. Yeah. And distraction is an interesting word. I reckon there's different varieties of distraction. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm doing distraction. I'm telling kids my, you know, extremely funny jokes and that kind of stuff. And oh, they were asleep before they knew it. Mm -hmm. And another is almost the opposite. It's a really intense focus. Yeah. My friend Adam here is so skilled at doing this. Like someone's scared and he'll say, would you like me to talk about something that is going to make it easier for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. We'll do that. And then they focus in and they're listening to him and almost the rest of the world disappears and his voice is the only thing that remains. Uh, so they're, they're both yeah. types of distraction. And it's quite interesting that you've brought up Adam because Adam actually hypnotised my big girl when she had surgery. Um, she had had a terrible experience with a cannulation in the past and, you know, I just mentioned it to him in recovery one day and he's like, why don't you bring her in? And the difference of her coming in and actually having surgery was absolutely incredible. He obviously implemented many things that you've spoken about today. It, it did feel like there was nobody else in the room. It was only Adam and my, and my big girl speaking. And it was like she was sort of it moved to another dimension. It was just incredible to see. And that, that effect that then it had with, oh, actually hospitals are not so scary. Oh, I've got a cannula in my hand. Now that's, that doesn't hurt. That's just a little plastic straw. Um, you're right. There's such a big benefit from that. And I think also Adam's clearly an expert. I hope mm -hmm. he gets to hear this and how much we're pumping up his tires. <laughs> no, yeah. But everybody who's got children or works with children has got a vibe for this. And part of it's allowing to do some stuff. So allowing to go to a place and uh, something of not doing stuff. So uh, not, there might be a time where you need to exchange information, but exchanging scary information in front of a child just before starting, there yeah, might be really ways mm. to tweak that. So the information yeah. with the parent happens somewhere else. And then the interaction with the child's about the child and finding out something they like. And yeah. uh, another thing for that's pretty easy to implement is the one voice strategy. So I'm now a white-haired senior gentleman yes. and I'm not always the right match for every person. And sometimes I'm the, either the anesthesia assistant or training I'm working with, a much better match. And they're the front of house and they become the voice. We try and sometimes when a child's scared, 10 well-meaning people lean over the bed going, oh, okay, you got any friends? Um, uh, what's your favourite colour? Um, what's your teacher's so name? And overwhelming for this poor <laughs> tiny little person laying yeah. there. So the things that are really easy to implement, the one voice, having a little thought about what the thing's going to be, inviting the person to participate in that conversation while they're there. If they're older, you can just use it as saying, shall we talk about something? Because I think I'll make it easier. Yep. And you're talking every time about what you're going to do to make it easier rather than talking about the hard things that are making it hard, finding a path to make it easy. Yeah. And Pete, you sort of mentioned just previously about the role of the parent. And I want to explore that with you a little bit more. Not every induction goes to plan. And sometimes parents can themselves feel a little bit distressed and overwhelmed with seeing their child as they're going to have an anesthesia. Maybe they had an, exp you know, a previous negative experience in their own life or just seeing their child in that vulnerable state makes them feel quite emotional. What are the sort of um, things that you do to help empower parents and, and obviously educate them in that limited time that you're with them prior sure. to the, as the child's going off to sleep? 
Really good question. And the answer is really simple. The goal of the consult, they must believe I'm going to look after their child when they can't be there, whatever it takes to do that. And the money for jam, their name will be written on a sticker somewhere. People who call them mum and dad, you've lost the opportunity to say (laughs) Reg and Barbara or whatever it is. People feel like you're on their side if you use their name. That's how people presumably sell (laughs) white goods. (laughs) That's Uh, true. And also knowing about the child, so being prepared and knowing at the end of the consult, they think, oh, that's okay. And then talking some stuff about what might happen and inviting them uh, to participate in ways that seem appropriate. Uh, so the goal being the tennis analogy, you don't want to be singles opponents. You want to be doubles partners on the same side of the net. That's a great analogy. And it's also a bit of an insurance because it doesn't always go well. Yeah. And at least the person knows that I'm on their side trying to make the experience. So parent and I are doubles partners against the scary experience yeah. rather than the child being against me. And then the parent must take the child's side against me. So, uh, yeah, them knowing that I'm there doing my very best to make the experience easy. And then everybody's got uh, comfort about which parts they're happy having a parent there for. I'm actually quite happy having a parent there, even if the child's half obstructed going off to sleep because yep. I'm saying, well, isn't this amazing? This is just what it's like. And this, you'll see that this is going You're well. It's okay. It. Yeah. And actually that was a um, sort of a great segue to my next question, which is, you know, when things don't go according to plan, you've got the parent there, maybe the child, you know, in pre-op hold and the family appeared, you know, calm and, you know, happy with the process. And all of a sudden you've gotten into the induction room or, you know, um, some of our um, clinicians that might be listening might not have access to an induction room and they'll go straight into theatre. And then all of the child, all of a sudden the child just completely freaks out, loses the plot. Um, How do you manage that? You know, is it something that you go, okay, let's let's stop and reassess or can you talk us through that? Again, a great question. And it happens all the time. It's not magic in my hands here at the Centre of Excellence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you get a bit of a feel for things. And again, in themes, less than two, the parents on side, the child's going to cry. Yeah. And so mostly that's my interaction with them. Mm-hmm. The three, four, five, logic isn't my friend if the child's unhappy uh, and sometimes it one just proceeds and sometimes thinks I've missed my opportunity for pre-med and some sedative pre-med messing with the memory and sometimes we might start again with that. Once we get to primary school and the child's articulating clearly that they don't want it to happen, I think I've really missed the boat there because they're clearly saying I don't want it to happen and from primary school I think a very low threshold to starting again. Yeah. And if and by starting again, can you tell our listeners what that means? For example, seven-year-old seemed fine. We talked about the mask and then we come in and they say, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I haven't really done the preparation for an IV thing and they won't let me touch anything. We're not doing it, not doing it. Yeah. And I'm, they might going, you know, Joshua, we have to have this done. We said we're going to do this and you can feel it heightening up. And then I might say, going, okay, what are our choices here? Uh, do we need to do this today? It has to be done this admission or next year or whatever. Yeah. And then it may well be having a set of pre-med and that's hard because the child's already offside and sometimes we end up giving stuff up the nose rather than the mouth. Yeah. And it's unpleasant. It's the stuff about my job that I hate the most. Yeah. Uh, but imagine. yeah, sometimes you do have to wheel out and start again. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know obviously you do, and that's where you've come from today, so doing some teaching, but what are sort of the, some of the key messages that you tell your registrars or people who sort of are rotating through RCH about the induction, some sort of pediatric, you know, the basic pediatric things that could help them anesthetize a child? I had been the supervisor of training for 10 years and I started a project 
so I could write a thesis and get myself an education qualification. And I it had, had set it up that, you know, they did a, a questionnaire about what did you think was going to be the problem and what was actually the problem. And mm-hmm. luckily I got a new supervisor who threw it out. So this is complete rubbish. You haven't <laughs> tried to understand their experience. So when I had to start learning how to do the whole project again and using qualitative research, where I learned actually to ask uh, some questions and let the person answer in whatever direction. And I realized a few things. Firstly, how new everything is. Yeah. And so the first thing with them is allowing them to be new. So we try and simplify everything. And our orientation is largely about where to park your car and how to get paid and all yeah. the stuff you can address yeah. in a day or a week. Yeah. And then a slow apprenticeship to the three core skills, relearning how to hold a mask, relearning how to put a cannula in and how to talk to a child. Yeah. And so uh, it seems almost patronizing at the start, but I think it's easier to start with those building blocks. The next thing for trainees thing was that they felt useless. Uh, that was clearly like myself and my anesthesia assistant seem to be pretty slick and they think, oh, I'm yeah. not. Where do, I, where do I belong here? Yeah. So the yeah. challenge is to find ways to be genuinely useful yeah. without them digging the extra hole. It was hard enough and now they're sort of uh, having a crack at themselves for being useless. And then the fear, fear was a very big component and it probably twofold. There's the obvious fear that a child in my hands will come to harm and underneath that is probably imposter syndrome. I'm yeah. supposed to be able to do this. What if I can't? What if I fail? What if I'm not up to it? And they're realistic things and all of them probably acknowledging them and then coming up with appropriate strategies. Yeah. And then my main thing is that this, the only 100% standard is they have to be able to look the parent in the eye and say, I'll look after your child. And that might mean 10 phone calls for certain things at a certain time of the rotation and later on it might mean no phone calls, but the standard's the same. And if they feel that they can't look after the child for whatever reason, and it's Children less than two, it is fiddly. Airway is fiddly. IV access is fiddly. Uh, and when everybody gets upset, three, four and five-year-olds mm-hmm. are really fiddly. Uh, when a primary school-aged child is sick and they're asking questions about whether they're going to die, that is, these yeah. are really difficult issues. That, and confronting um, if you've not ever had that kind of experience before. Yeah. And so for people dealing with children out there, it may seem, oh, we're getting healthy children there. But there's still elements of the same thing. What will happen to my child? Is today the day everything's going to be okay? So, yeah, yeah acknowledging how scared people can be and then working out, okay, it's scary, so yeah. I better check. I've got a system for airway. Yeah, what do we do for I've got a system for IV, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's wonderful. These are such incredible sort of messages that you've given us today, you know, about the importance of parent education, um, getting them on your side. I really love that analogy about you being a team, you know, with the parent and also, you know, allaying fears, talking to the child in a, in a way that's appropriate and not just distracting them. I like how you said sometimes it's about being really intentional. So thank you so much for your time today, Pete. I've really appreciated it. And also the, the achievability, mm-hmm. like I'm sure you've seen with your work, once someone's empowered, like somebody who's working in pre-op hold, who's been a nurse for 15 years and a mum for 20 years, being empowered to say, oh, this is so all true. it is. I'm allowed to do this. I'm allowed to muck around with them. I'm allowed to do, I'm allowed to do various things things, I'm allowed to be the person who comes through to theatre because I've met them and finding a way from your hospital to make it enjoyable for the staff, it'll just radiate out onto the kids as well. That's so true. Well, thank you so much for today, Peter. Again, we can't thank you enough for your time and your expertise. It's my pleasure. And again, thanks to people out there in podcast land for listening in. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Conversation with the Experts, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcast, 
check out our other podcast show, Teach, Think, Treat.